HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for PASA's 2023 conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, featuring more than 90 sessions on farming and food systems, as well as mixers and meetups and a trade show. Learn more at pasafarming.org conference. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is B.B. Gretz. We'll talk to B.B. about art, wine, and more. We'll taste the red and white from B.B. for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Benruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio. We bring wine to the people. Not your typical winemaker. B.B. Gretz was surrounded by a family of visual artists studying art, not wine. He grew up in a medieval castle around Tuscany, surrounded by vineyards. With no formal training, Beebe started making wine in the late 1990s. And by 2000, he was making his own wine with a passion for old vines, Sangiovese, and eventually white wines. Merging his two loves of art and wine, Beebe has designed the labels for his highly sought after and critically acclaimed wines, he now makes right outside of Florence. Welcome to the Grape Nation, BB. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing the show with us. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. I got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Um, but I want everyone to uh, uh, know who you are. So I want you to give me a brief background on your journey in life and wine that got you to your own winery. So the first thing I want you to talk about because like I said you have an interesting story is tell me a little about your parents and their influences because I think who they are what they are where they went what they were doing had a big hand in what you were doing now so tell me a little about your uh, parents you know your dad is a prolific sculptor Um, so set me up with that first well my 
My father is a sculptor, has been a sculptor all his life. He's 94 now. And my mom has been a, a mom for, for, for four kids and a wife of an artist, which means a uh, <laughs> handful. Right. <laughs> handful. <laughs> right, right. And um, so, well, I mean, uh, for sure, no, when you are, when you are um, a son of uh, an artist, uh, you don't really have, I would say, a conventional education, no? because I mean, artists are very, very, uh, uh, let's say, taken by themselves, no? Okay, and, well, there's a word for that, narcissist. Yeah, well, yeah. Go ahead. Very narcissist. So we were practically wild, wild kids. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had uh, our our mom loved us very much, but we had uh, uh, we had, I mean, they didn't have control of us like a normal family would have. We were kind of on our own, and and uh, which is you know bad and good, but at the end, yeah, you make your own your own experience in life, and you become maybe stronger and. And uh, for me, it was a good, uh, a good background. And um, I was not a good uh, student. I was having a hard time into into rules, into in a, in a, <laughs> okay, into following authority, into a structured situation. I was having a really hard time. So I actually started having much better life when when I went off school, <laughs> when I went on my own, kind of. So um, I want to talk about that too, but interestingly, your dad was half Swiss, half Israeli. I would think Gidon is an Israeli name, right? Not, not exactly. My father was Israeli. Israeli, okay. Yeah, and my grandfather came in the early twenties to live in Israel as a pioneer from Germany, and uh, ah. so talking and then and then my, my my mother's side they came from russia on then my grandmother's side they came from russia so okay. it's a, and they came in the 1860s from russia so it's a kind of pioneers uh, families in israel and um so he was he lived there and he left israel when he was 24 for doing the academy of art right so he left israel to go to school in italy which is what brought him there yeah he went first in Academy of Art in, in Florence, then he went to the Academy of Art in Paris, and then his father, so my grandfather, decided to buy this property in Florence. And then somehow my father was, he didn't have any plans to come to stay in Florence, but he was, he, was, he got kind of sucked in from my, from my grandfather to follow this property because he was speaking Italian and so he could help a bit, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, he came, he was, he came and somehow never left. No. Uh, so you're alluding to the castle. castle or property, which started with your grandfather. Yeah. Then your dad went into it and then you grew up in and yeah. around the castle, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So a couple things that are interesting to me. Um, 
you know, you said grow, but growing up around artists, you know, not a lot of structure and all of that. I think later on in life and now the way you approach, you know, wine and how you make it and how you view everything, you know, is not much different than where you came from. Um, and we'll talk about that a little. And the other thing is, you know, here you are, you know, uh, uh, a famous winemaker making this culty wine with like the quintessential Israeli first name, right? Bibi? <laughs> what, what, do you mean, what, what do you mean by that? Well, Bibi, you know, Bibi is like Bibi Netanyahu. I mean, that's just a very Israeli name. I think it's funny, but we'll, we'll move on. I prefer, All right. I, so I prefer, I prefer Bibi King. Yeah, me too. I prefer, I prefer listening to BB King drinking BB Gretz wine. So that's a good <laughs> match. Okay. All right. So it, this is kind of interesting. You grow up in truly an unusual place, right? I mean, just tell me a little about the castle, which again plays into what you're doing now. Well, you know, it's uh, for us. We had a very, I mean. When you're when you're living when you're living the life, you don't really think what you are, what you, what what people would look at you from outside. But I mean, us, we were you no know, living living a very colorful life in the castle. You know, artists are very uh, not taken from uh, from. Uh, I mean, I mean on. A, we had a kind of a very simple life, you know. They really are. I mean, we had a, this amazing property, but right. we, had a, we had a very simple life, life very humble. You know? And uh, everything but the property was simple, was what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, from yeah. outside, it looked like you no know, grandiose and uh, right. Like that, but in fact, we were having a very humble life and very you know going to public schools and uh, and having a very you know. Mm, Kind of half peasant life, no? Kind of. Uh, was, right. when, when they arrived, my parents arrived there. Uh, it was still very strong peasant culture in, in in Italy, and all the farmers that were living in the houses they were still there, and uh, they had been there for generations. And I mean, they, my mother tells me stories where where the where the women of the Farmers were sitting with the chairs, looking at the house. No, the, the chair was turned towards the house. They were all dressed in black, and I mean, these were sitting there and knitting while the guy, the men, were out and working in the fields. So I mean, it was real, real, very um, kind of uh, rural Italy. No, I was just to say Italian countryside. Yeah, you know that yeah. that was the feel. It was yeah. anything but the city. Um, yeah. Did you wind up going to the art school that one of that one of the schools your dad went to? Well, actually, yes. I never thought about it, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, because when I was just looking at everything, I'm like, I think these are the same, but I wanted to ask yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, um, I never thought about it, but it is the same. <laughs> is that the yeah. typical thing where you grow up around somebody, your dad, who's very influential to you? He's an artist and. At some point, you just say, all right, you know, this is what I know. I'm going to study art. I mean, is it as simple as that? Or were there other reasons you went to art school? Well, but listen, it's, uh, 
I went to an art high school first, and that was okay. a bit of a, of a, I mean, it was kind of, you know, I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I, my, my, you know, when you're out of school, people, um, in that, in those times there, you didn't have like open schools like now where you go and choose and, uh, and I mean, right. like you were kind of directed from your teachers where to go. Right. You know, kind of. And I was or going for like a classic studi- studies like uh, Italian literature, Latin and stuff like that, which was what was a bit fascinating me. Uh, but they just told me, no, you go to art school, there's no chance you're going to manage to go uh, to a classic school. So so I just went to an art school. <laughs> and then, uh, then I, after I went to the Academy of Art, but I was kind of already on my own, I kind of, I was not really a, a student anymore. I mean, I just did it like I was, I was already into my own way, kind of. I was studying, I was working in a stained glass studio and I wanted to open my stained glass studio. So I thought, okay, well, I might as well do the Academy of Art on a side, side as a side thing, would harm. Uh, but I was actually already doing my my own thing, kind of. No? All right. So t- t- tell me about that time, because you talk about art high school, art academy, you know, working at a studio and all that. But tell me about that time. Obviously, you made a departure from art. It may have been transitional. But when did you realize you wanted to concentrate on wine and you know, maybe less art or no art. I mean, tell me how no, that comes about. It, it, it kind of came slowly because uh, first I was planning to open my stained glass studio. Uh, and by the time I studied for like three years, this, uh, then I went to Paris and I went for a stage in Paris and I learned to how to paint with the fire and stuff like that. And and um, then I came back and I, and I actually prepared everything. I prepared all my studio and I was there to start. And then I just said to myself, no, that's, I cannot sit in front of the desk for my life. It's not, it's not going to be the thing. It came to you pretty quickly. I mean, it, it, it wasn't running up. Like, why am I doing this? I'm not sure I want to do this. You know, why am I going to sit in front of, you know, a desk no, just, with glass? I just suddenly it just hit you and said, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I just hit me. I saw myself uh, sitting in front of the desk with a little hammer and cut the glass <laughs> cutters. I, no, no, this is not going to be, it's not, it's not my life kind of. Okay. So, so then what are you thinking? And then just in that period there where I, where I realized it was not going to be my thing, my family started, uh, decided to do an activity in the castle uh, and uh, to use the castle for doing some kind of activity for kind of self-maintain the castle and stuff like that. Uh. Right. And I was in a period where I said, well, well you know what? Well, uh, why not? I can, I can take care of it for the moment for a, certain amount of time no for a specific amount of time i can i can take care of it with that and so i actually started an activity that was completely different it was uh, launching the castle for becoming kind of a multi-central center no? so for events things like uh, that 
events, concerts, art shows, right. uh, lots of uh, theater acts, uh, stuff, and I mean, lots of activities. Then suddenly I found myself that I was organizing stuff for other artists to do, no? And which were very happy about it because they were having a lot of organization and a lot of stuff and other and I was I mean in, in like in two, three years it became one of the most popular centers in Florence for many kind of activities. And then I kind BB, of what year was that around? We started in ninety two. Okay. And then so suddenly yeah. I started I found myself hmm, okay, well I am actually organizing all this stuff for all these artists to have fun, but I'm, I'm actually not having fun by myself. I mean, <laughs> I need to do something right. for myself. But I, cannot have, I cannot just organize for other people to have fun. No? So then slowly, slowly, I first I started doing something that were more like uh, on the creative side, like uh, I opened up a flower decoration company that was doing flower decorations. So I was playing with flower <laughs> decorations and stuff and not lots of fun. We made some really right. huge, huge events with flower decoration. I mean, crazy, like 10,000 roses and stuff. And that wow. Crazy stuff. Because we had the cast, we had, I mean, we, with the event thing, we suddenly get in contact with customers that were doing crazy things and we did some really fun thing. But again, we started and finished. And then I, we had this little vineyard and we were playing a bit with the vineyard and, and uh, we had this, uh, I, I, you know, we had this trend of wine and we started trying to go down in the vineyard, started trying to go down the vineyard and, and try to prune a bit better to see if we could reduce the crop and do some better wine. But it was just, you know, just like this. We had still had the whole structure gardeners and people that were taking care of all this thing here it was not really on me it was more like a you know every time once in a while you go down and play a bit like that but um, right. then i remember once we went i had a friend of mine that was working at the time for antinori and uh, and he kind of uh, together with him with him we went in the night uh, with my pickup uh, we, we managed to get hold of like three barrels of old barrels from barriques from Antinori, you know, so we kind of went and steal three barrels from Antinori's cellar. <laughs> Wait, did you steal them or they gave them to you? No, they gave them to me. But oh, okay. somebody, somebody was, I don't know if... It doesn't I mean, matter now. Okay. I don't know if that person was really, I don't know if that person was really allowed to do it, but anyway, it was fun. Right, right, but that's on but, him, not you. Yeah. But the me, three but, Antinori barrels is really the birthplace... <laughs> of your wines in a way, right? Getting started. Well, we start, actually we started playing and we were trying to do like better wines. And then I had my they had a DJ that was working in the castle that was an enologist and and he was kind of putting music in the evening and helping me to do some wine. But then I realized that the guys was not really at where I wanted, and so well, we started looking ourselves around, and then. It was kind of a mess because first we, my father, before, let's say, um, with the gardeners, we had a, a kind of, we had two hectares of vineyards and 
it was a system that was working completely in, in autonomy. So the guard, the, the, the say the, the gardener who lived there, the property, he had like um, uh, every Friday from five o'clock to seven o'clock, he was in the cellar and customers could come and buy the wine bulk. No? And there was a system that was going on in an automatic way, you know, kind of, and was taking care of all, they were coming with damijanas and, you know, there were like 15 customers and they were coming regularly to buy the wine and we were finishing the wine, you know, like that. Then uh, suddenly my father, I think it doesn't mean, but must have been like in the mid, mid nineties, uh, decided to bottle the wines uh, with the label of the castle as a Chianti and to sell it. And he actually sold it all together to Switzerland, to a distributor in Switzerland, no? Who bought all he the wine. He sold all of it to one place in Switzerland? one place in Switzerland. It was no, just one bulk sale. One one guy all, got it and he was one able guy to distribute bought, it. And bought all the bottles and all okay. that stuff. So, but what happened is that the guy bought all the wine and probably the wine was not to the standard and he didn't rebuy the wine. So Okay, that's an indicator. No, so, uh, or maybe it no, takes time to build a market also now for right. some people. So, well, at least now I know things like that. But um, so what happened is that we didn't have any other customer for the wine. But in the meantime, we lost all the system of the people that were coming and buying bulk. No? So suddenly there was the whole grapes, wine, uh, it was a whole cow. So for a few years, I decided to sell the grapes with Coke and kind of to make up our minds and see what we wanted to do. No? So then I started doing some, trying to do some wine, some little things where we were trying to sell it at the events, the castle. We, I mean, it was impossible. It was kind of crazy. We tried to sell some wines. There's some friends that has distributors in Norway. My mother is from Norway, so we had a lot of connections there. And, no way, no answers, no kind of, okay, <laughs> not easy. <laughs> not so easy. So, and then suddenly this friend of mine told me, listen, I see that you're playing a bit with this wine. Why don't you go and visit my friend who has, you know, they have a fantastic vineyard in the Chianti, classical, they sell other wines to, to Japan, and then they sell exclusively in Italy to this uh, Free Star Michelin and this most famous restaurant in Italy. It's in Florence, in Oteca Pinchiori. It's really cool. You should go and see them. But I said, why not? Why don't you kind Wait, of... it was the restaurant in Oteca Pinchiori? Yeah. In the, I... Isn't that in like a little castle or something? No, no. It's in, it's in the center of Florence. It's a Free Star. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. So I... Uh, I actually went to see this winery, you know, which was a friend of this uh, friend of my best friend, and I really got stroke. You know, I saw this guy was my age, uh, thirty years at the time, and or 30, 33, or he was exactly my age, and he was the son of an enologist, uh, one of the greatest enologists in Tuscany, and studied in Bordeaux, and he made this. He was living in the property and running this property. And I really, wow, I saw this thing here. I totally fell in love. You know? So I kind of saw it and decided in that moment that that would be my life kind of. You know? All right. So, so you, up until now, you've had no formal training in wine. 
You had crossed paths with a few people who were involved with wine. Now you meet this guy and he looks like the real deal to you. What happens? Does he mentor you? Do you hire him? I mean, how do you get to the next steps? Yeah, he was a friend of friend, no, friends. And and we became a bit more, I started to go visit him a few times. Actually, we became closer at the time. And I asked him if he could help me because his father was a, a consultant, no? And he had studied more, you know? And he said, listen, okay, I can, I can help you, but I can help you uh, as a friend. I mean, like, I, I will not... I don't have time, uh, my father don't have time to to actually have another client, no? So To be an official consultant. Yeah, yeah. Right. but I can help with a friend. So I told him, <laughs> no way, no way, you, you, you don't know me. You, you, cannot do, you cannot do this thing here as a friend. Because I, knowing myself how the intensity of the thing would be, it would just not work, no? So I said, no way, uh, but maybe you can help me to find somebody who can help me. You know? So actually, then I started looking myself around and actually I found some, uh, through other connections, I found some, a group of, of analogies uh, and I asked this guy if they were at the level now that could help me. And he said, absolutely, yes, uh, these guys uh, are good. They, they can help. You know? So I hired this group and uh, they started helping me and um, and we, you know, I, I, I... That's how things got started. Yeah. Now, were you concentrating on the few hectares around the castle or you were looking to expand at that point? Well, listen, I started with the two hectares. Then I, I hired... Uh, uh, another two hectares in the same valley, on the top of the valley. And then I started searching around to find other vineyards. It was really tough at the time, because we were talking about uh, in the real... I, when I started, it was really the boom of the wine. It was like... The, so uh, what was tough? Availability and price availability, was high? Availability of vineyards. It was nearly impossible to right. find. Right, and... Were the prices crazy or it was just for you? No, know, it was just uh, impossible okay. to find vineyards because, you know, the, it was the end of the 90s, you know, and it was, you know, everything that was, I mean, all the wineries were going like crazy and everything was working, flying kind of in the wine business. Right. There was, it was a, like yeah. you said, a crazy time, a lot of it was demand, like a, big a lot bubble, of interest. Right? It was a big bubble. Yeah. That, actually, the bubble yeah. crashed when. Uh, the Twin Towers fell. No, that was the moment where the bubble, in the wine business, the bubble crash in Italy. Okay. The um, I want to talk to you about, you know, the winery and those properties. But before we get to that, I just, I wanted to ask you a few more questions. Um, listen, we know Sangiovese is the most important grape in the region. And, and um, it's obvious you have uh, an affinity for old vines. I mean, if, if, if you have any signature, it's that you're an old vine guy, winemaker, um, and you actually sought them out. I'm curious from you, because not everyone does it, what is it about older vines, 
you know, what impressed you early on? You know, what are the characteristics that they impart on the wines? I mean, how did you fall into the fact that, listen, I want to concentrate on wines where I could find old vines? Because you know, BB, that's not everyone's approach. Well, especially, especially if you will go back to the 2000. I mean, in 2000, the whole, at least in Italy, the whole wine world was just talking about new clones, high density, and uh, Cabernet Merlot plantations. Right. Uh, so right. That and was, that's not where you wanted to go. No, I don't know why, but I kind of, before I actually really started to this made my choice of becoming a winemaker, once I went to to the Italy, uh, just you know, alone with a friend or introduced to by a friend, a guy from a catering company that I was working with. And I kind of went there and saw this, you no. Know, huge, huge, no, huge wine fair. It's the biggest wine fair in the world, probably. And, uh, no, with thousands and hundreds of thousands of wines, there are millions of wines, different wines, and, I don't know, thousands and thousands of wineries. It was like, what the hell is this guy, no? Right. So I started kind of wandering around, and, and then suddenly I found myself in a booth where... It was this uh, gang, no, coming from somewhere up in the north of Italy, where there was a little DOC, and it was crazy. It was fantastic. They they had this. They were planting these vineyards, and in order to take part of the DOC, the vineyards should be at least thirty years old. Before thirty years old, the wines were just simple no, table wines. And I got so turned on by this uh, story, I really fell in love with it. No? I said, wow, so incredibly cool, the idea of planting a vineyard and you cannot do the, the wine for 30 years. Or not. Right. Like, what the hell is this? So that, that, that resonated with you. That was like, that's where I'm going. Yeah, but, I don't know. But, it, totally, it totally hooked me, you know? But I asked you before, what is it about older vines? I mean, what is it a finesse? Is it, you know, what do you always walk away from when you're drinking, you know, an older vine wine? Well, listen, it's it's a hard question to directly answer. Yeah, it's a hard thing to directly answer. What I can tell you is in the cellar, no, in my cellar, when you have a the older, the older barrels, the older wines, they just somehow stick up. No, it's kind of right. You have this uh, finesse. You have this. The, the, uh, everything is kind of. Uh, um, you have less power, no, in the wines, but you have this. Uh, they're they're better. It's kind of you have character. Yeah, there's a character. You just you just easily understand there is a step up in the quality. Yeah, I don't think anyone will argue with you, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think uh, people uh, prefer, whether it's Napa or Italy or France um, or whatever. Um, so it's, 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 an easy, it's an easy equation, not kind of. Uh, right. So let's talk about 
before we take a break, I want to set up a physical part. Let's talk about, we'll talk about your wines. Let's talk about the winery first. Um, we talked about you grew up in a castle that had a couple of hectares and we understood how that played out. You know, that got you to where you are today, which is, you know, a winemaker, wine lover, you know, very uh, targeted in what you want to do. But in 2019, um, you purchased the Hotel Via Aurora in, how do I pronounce it? BB Fiazale, yeah. um, that you converted into your winery, your home, you'll continue the hotel and bar. I realized when I looked at that, 2019 preceded when the world stopped for COVID. Um, did that screw up your plans? You know, where are you at with that? And, uh, you know, are you settled in? Are you making, you know, wine there? And I know you split between there and the castle. Tell me a little about, you know, all of that. Well, listen, um, I, I was um, for many years uh, wanting to kind of uh, find my own home or my own place out of the castle. Uh, castle is kind of a family thing and i always felt it was not my thing it was more kind of a family thing you know? makes sense so but my feeling was like that in my in my dream my feeling was that i would like kind of fly away but to to fly and then lay myself not too far away no right so I'm, I'm very connected to this territory but it was tough because, I mean, for me, when we started, I started a winery with no capitals. And I started with like 15,000 euros and uh, and I didn't have uh, many possibilities in terms of finances. So I kind of developed the winery, you know, one bottle at a time. You know? So for the first, uh, let's say, 15, 20 years, it was really tough for us to look around for a property that would actually suit and could actually uh, be able to uh, accommodate our necessities, you know? Because, I mean, first of all, you are looking yourself around kind of Beverly Hills here because it's the right. most expensive hill around Florence. Okay. And uh, so every house costs uh, millions of euros. So, I mean, and we just didn't have the money. So it was or not enough to what our necessities were. No? So we were kind of constrained a bit there at the castle. No? We felt a bit constrained. Then uh, suddenly around 2017, no? um, things started really turning for us no? in, in the winery and start really growing and and becoming really healthy. So and what does turning mean? Recognition and increased sales? Listen, it was, um, recognition was never a problem for us. Because okay. from day one, I was you, kind of- You got good notices. I got, I, I kind of remember who was the guy that made myself notice, noticed somehow. Always. Okay. This is cool. I was always in the center of attention somehow, bro. Okay. So I'm, I don't have any problem in making myself noticed. <laughs> no, kind of. 
but uh, the different thing is that people, when we're looking at us, they thought that we were no, producing whatever, no? billions of bottles or whatever, uh, or millions or, or no, making enormous turnovers. So from the outside, it looked like that. But in fact, we were, we were completely destructured, destructured, and we were struggling a lot, you know, with the finances and stuff and thing. It was kind of really tough. The first, uh, I mean, we were not really, it was not affecting our, our, our work or our life, but it was, I mean, the, the, the accounts were well in red in the bank, you know? And uh, then suddenly, in the 15, I think there was a combination of, uh, of you know, 15 years of, uh, or, or, or nearly 20 years of know-how. Suddenly we started kind of learning how to move ourselves better within the world business and how to kind of you know, work with, with, I don't know how what happened, but things started turning well. So, so in... Uh, when COVID came, you know, and when we actually bought the Aurora, suddenly we had a complete different economy and we actually could. So when this thing here happened, we actually had the possibility of buying it. You know? So this ah. was the, so when it came, suddenly we had we were I mean we had the chance of doing it. You know? And so we really jumped on it in the it was 2019 before the COVID came. And then when COVID came, I mean, I don't know, we just uh, continued our kind of, uh, it didn't affect the winery at all. It didn't affect us at all. It just, um, we just continue our growth and and we continue our, our, I mean. Did you build a winery at the hotel? Yeah, we created a beautiful and winery. And to this day it's finished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was we we entered because we wanted to go, we wanted to move from the castle. So when we bought the property, it was funny because we wanted to come in, and the people that were owning the hotel wanted to go out. No, right. so kind of we kind of matched. So we bought the property in June, and I think in April we brought our tanks in, and we made. Ah, it that first was pretty quick. Yeah, we kind of made a harvest without temperature control, without nothing. We just smashed it, like like it was a bit in the castle. It was very, right. very. And are you still making some of the wine in the castle? You split no, between the two. everything here now. Now we. Oh, you, everything is under one roof. Yeah. Oh, so that's great. Um, yeah. All right, BB, we have to take a quick break. Yeah. Um, when we come back, we'll finish up on that. And then I want to talk to you, you know, specifically about the wines, the vintages, the grapes, farming, cellar practices and all that. We're talking to B.B. Gretz. B.B. is a um, artist and winemaker in Tuscany and makes some terrific wines, which we're going to talk about. You're listening to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. Cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower. Register now for PASA Sustainable Agriculture's 2023 conference. Access more than 90 sessions on topics including environmental conservation, food justice, sustainable food and textile production, renewable energy, and much more. Featuring a not-to-be-missed lineup of speakers, including Indigenous environmental scientists, 
and author of Fresh Banana Leaves, Jessica Hernandez, the best-selling author of The Art of Fermentation, Sander Katz, co-owners of Heritage Seed Company, True Love Seeds, Owen Taylor and Chris Bolden Newsome, and many more. PASA's conference takes place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 11th and includes social networking events plus an expansive trade show. Register now at pasafarming.org slash conference. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash conference. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, B.B. Gretz. Um, B.B., now that you're making wine under one roof on the hillside, um, that should make life a little easier. We, you, we talked earlier, not that long ago, um, that Tuscany is known for their super Tuscans, you know, wines that typically blend Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, um, not grapes that you in the old days found around that area and that people planted. Those are not your typical Sangiovese wines. Um, ironically, people look at your wines, you know, as certainly culty, sought after, you know, they're super and they're from Tuscan, so they're super Tuscans too. But if I understand correctly, your 2020 vintages, which I know you love, of Colore and Testamata, they're 100% Sangiovese, correct? Yeah, I mean, but I have been always playing uh, with Sangiovese or with some Canaiolo and some Colorino. I mean, I never went off track there. So, I mean... All right, wait, so help me with that. So Canaleo and Colorino are important grapes to that region. And Canaiolo, Canaiolo is a very uh, important, I mean, it has been a bit lost in transition after in the, in the transition between ancient uh, winemaking and modern enology. It got a bit lost in transition, but if you go back to, to the 40s, or or fifties or thirties, Canaiolo was in many vineyards also fifty percent of the of the of, of the grapes. So it was right, a and a lot of the wines were blended with those grapes, right? I mean, it was a part, at least thirty percent of the old recipe of the Chianti. No, it was thirty percent right. Canaiolo, but in many of the vineyards it was also fifty percent. No. Right. So have you ever very... used Canaleo or Colorino in your Colori or Testamata? Yeah, it was. Uh, we we always used the Canaiolo and Colorino in the Testamata. Up until this vintage, 2020? The first time I didn't use Canaiolo and Colorino was the 2019, but up to the 18. But just for a specific reason that when when for some reason it was uh, i think a uh, no, climate reason or right. uh, they were really not still ready when we made the blends no so right. we, they were not really adding to the sangiovese but they were kind of taking away no so uh for some specific reason i they, they, they didn't have the blend so i just took them out so uh but it's not it's not necessarily a rule i mean maybe next year we're going i was to gonna say i mean you yes. i know you love the wines 
Yeah. It doesn't convince you that from here on in, it'll be 100%. So it's not the rule. You take each, each vintage as it comes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so cool. let tell me about the 2020 vision vintage. Um, you know, tell well, me about tell me about the wines. And here's an opportunity because I, I think you have a fairly recent uh, vineyard plot, Olmo, and you have a handful of other ones, which you know we talked about are older vine vineyards. Um, you know, tell me about the vineyard. I mean, the vintage vine age. You know, are you doing the same barrel aging? Why do you love this vintage so much? Well, you know, I have been uh, in since since uh, I would say two thousand and eight. Now, I was uh, once uh, with some friends. I was curious to taste uh, a DRC wine. No, right, and the Burgundy. Burgundy, no, and uh, Romane Conti, no, and Wait, uh, up until then, you never had it before. No, I never had it before. Okay, H had you had other Burgundies? Not really, not really. Okay, no, go ahead. So, I decided to taste it wine, and uh, we managed to buy a bottle. And, and at that time, there we were in, in really, we were doing like hyper, hyper concentrated wines, like. We were really producing like uh, 12 hectoliters per hectare. I mean, we were crazy, you know, in the sense of uh, it was like the wines were like rockets, you no know, kind of. We were concentrating the sun into the glass, kind of. You now we had this idea of, of the concentration that was really, really uh, our drive at the moment. But was the balance good? It wasn't like a big over extracted wine, was it? I mean, you were happy with. We were in love. We we, we were in love with those wines. Okay. Uh, I mean, we were we were totally in love with that way of. I was totally in love with that way of making wine and do and it, and I'm kind of uh, hard headed, I'm kind of stubborn, so I don't really, really I don't really listen no, to. <laughs> okay. Uh, if if you if you don't like my wine, it's a problem with you. It's not me. Because you have what's your problem? Kent, you know? Yeah, and you got a million other choices. No, but I, really, I believe it. It's not kind of. No, like, no, you're entitled <laughs> to think that. <laughs> you know, it's your wine. No, I don't disagree no. at all. <laughs> but suddenly, I taste this wine here, and it's the opposite. It's completely transparent, and you have this endless finesse and acidity that it was it was a shock for me because I, I tasted this wine here that was the opposite of what I was doing and I fell in love with it completely with the idea of this you know, transparent and uh, super super elegant wine and ever since so stylistically stylistically that impressed you so much yeah. you had the thought of I have to think about making wines like this exactly okay so it took me years I think the first vintage where we really managed to get there, I mean, uh, in a way or another, because then things happen also by accident. You know, it's not that things, you, you, you manage to, you do something and then by accident, and then you see, wow, no? Okay, you can do that, no? And so I think it took me like uh, the first vintage where we really reached something that was, you know, to me, a uh, bit where I wanted to go is to 2015. It took me years, no? 
Then wait, can I ask you a couple of questions about that? Did it ever dawn on you or did you talk to Burgundy winemakers? Did you ever take a trip there? I mean, did you ever think of consultants <laughs> or did you figure all this out on your own? No, I, I never went to Burgundy. And I okay. never spoke to a Burgundy. It's not the Burgundy. dumbest idea, you know, go to Burgundy and talk to no, somebody no. and say, hey, how do you do this? <laughs> right? But I, think maybe, I like your way. Maybe, I mean, maybe, you really figure it out. Maybe I should have met you a few years before. <laughs> well, it's too late now, but you seem to have figured it out. And I think by figuring yeah. it out makes you a better winemaker and makes it a better wine. <laughs> so it took a few years to get that, that, that whatever, that, finesse, yeah. restraint, yeah. that quality, right? Yeah, that kind of style. I mean, that, 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 uh, that transparency kind of, F, the, the, yeah. the, the acidity, the transparency, the, 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 no, this thing here. But actually, the 2020, I mean, 2019 was another big step up because it was a very elegant vintage and there was a lot of production. So it really helped me to go another step forward towards kind of elegancy. Right. Uh, and I, but also, it actually taught me, you know, something new, the 2019 vintage. And it was like, okay, now we are doing more elegant wines, but in fact, we have been picking nearly double quantity of grapes in the vineyards because 19 was really a very, very generous vintage. No? Right. So I started playing with the equations okay, here. We need to leave more wines. We need to leave more wines in the vineyards, more grapes. We need to, I mean, so it's kind of, I, what, I, what I thought that I had already achieved in 2019 gave me another challenge no? to say, okay, here we need to you know, drop any kind of concentrate, uh, uh, any kind of green harvest and just, you know, let. So for the first time, you were, you were in the vineyard cutting back. Um, uh, actually, it, you, was, you, it happened in the 19, no, because. Uh, the 19, oh, right. It was the vintage. But name. you were taking less in for the sake of the grape, the grape quality, you know, all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. We were making sure that the production would have been a bit more balanced. Right. No, it, it, it was it, about quality, not quantity. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was about quality. Yeah. So so in nineteen, for the first time, I you know, I was there with my guys and they said, Okay, so we put down some grapes if there is too much grapes. I said, No, you don't fucking touch these grapes. Don't right. do anything. <laughs> Just leave everything the way it is. It looks so beautiful. We don't touch anything. Okay, we leave it the way it is. And the wines became so elegant. And you know, but we were talking about big quantities per plant, huh? Right. So that one gave me a, a new dimension and a new challenge. You now, so with 2020, what really made the difference is that we added a parcel. Uh, which is the parcel of Olmo, no? which brought that, a quality and a characteristic that you didn't have, right? More than a quality, no, I would say it brought in a characteristic that we didn't have. Okay. No? Because what we, was that? It, it's this element of, uh, of uh, freshness and transparency, no? which I never really found before so strongly. No? So because the is wines, that an indication of the vineyard? You know, was it a breezy, windy, elevated? It's a it's a place that is 
always windy, yeah. And it looks like when you go over a pass in the Apennines or in the Alps, you have this. When you are in the pass, you have all this kind of uh, flatter and softer lands, no? And you have all the grass, you have the cows, you have the mountain feeling, no? Right. This, this here is exactly like that, no? You have you have a mountain feeling and you have a cold feeling, no? A, a, like really high elevation feeling, although it's it's around 500 meters, but you have the feeling you are up in a path over a thousand meters, no? right. same feeling. And this tran translates into the wines and the wines have very, very special character. So that, that was a piece of the puzzle that became very important. Yeah, it's a piece vineyard. of the puzzle that really became very important in 2020 and really changed the DNA of Testamat and Colore. Right, that, that's, that's a great story. Um, and what'd you say? That's you use that in Testamata and the Calori, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because we have um, uh, we have some uh, older vines. We have like half half of the half plot is old vines, really old vines, and half plot is younger vines, talking about 20 years old. And uh, the younger wines went to Testamata and the older ones went to the into the Calori. Right. So besides Testamat and Calori, you do make other wines, and that's an opportunity to do different blends and use younger um, vines. But I, another thing, and I think this is important to you, is when people think of Tuscany, they don't always think of white wines. You know, they certainly think of Super Tuscans, that Cabernet Merlot we talked about, Sangiovese. You're making some interesting white wines, and there's sort of a connection to your white wines because you get the grapes from an area that you spent time as a kid, right? Exactly. Giglio, how do you pronounce Giglio. it? Giglio. Giglio. Tell me about, um, tell me about your wines. I, I mean, you make a, uh, uh, you make a uh, Testamata Bianco, you know, we talked about the Testamata, the red. Um, yeah, we have tell a- me, And you, you started making whites pretty quickly after you got things going. So it was something you didn't, you know, hold back on. No, no, I started immediately. When I started doing wine, I said, okay, I went kind of, uh, I need to do, I always loved the sea, you no, know, and the water, and I wanted to do a project uh, near the water. You no, know? I said, if right. I want, I, I cannot remain stuck in the middle of Tuscany. I mean, my, I love, I always love the sea and I love the mountains. So I cannot just get stuck in Florence. You know? right. So immediately I, I went to, back to the island and started do, doing a project near to the water hoping that sometime is going to bring me back to the water somehow. <clears throat> so once there, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing place. It's, a, it's an incredible place. It's like a, a, a place that has an energy that is uh, unique. It's a small, right. small island. It's, uh, I think, uh, 16 kilometers by three, and it's wow. 500 meters high. So it's a little mountain in the sea. You know? right. one, one hour off the coast, the ferry boat. But the, the, the terroir there, the, 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 the situation when you get there, it's such a powerful place. When I got there, you know, I, got, I just, I mean, 
I got shocked because I was I need to do a project here. So I really started you know, there. And uh, I mean, if you want time, come and see it. It's one of the most beautiful place where you can have vineyards. It sounds amazing. And the grapes, the indigenous grapes are what? Vermentino and, and Ansonica? They have Ansonica plus another three, four other strange okay. indigenous grapes. Uh, very nice. And we, but the thing there is about the beauty, you know, but it's not only the beauty. Somehow you have terrific wines coming out of there that has, I mean, it's not only beautiful. You can, oh, you can also, you can also make beautiful wines, which is not a normal equation or it's not an obvious equation. Right. With white with white wines in in Italy, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it sounds like an interesting situation. Um, yeah. I think it's a matter of, uh, I think it's a matter of the climate because you have a, a lot of humidity there, you no, know, right. which creates this. Uh, uh, it, it, it rains very very little, but you have a lot of humidity. You no, know, like the from, summer from being it, around the water. Yeah, like being this little mountain. It's like, but that doesn't create mildew or any problems because of the sun and the wind, right? Well, you know, not not more than in Tuscany. I mean, no. Yeah. Uh, it, obviously, it's not that you are free of uh, of uh, the molds. I mean, you need to take care of it, like if you were in another place. But uh, but there is, a, I think that this thing here create this moisture that moisture that in the air and that really create this uh, complexity of this one and there is so bb in in front of me i have um you were kind enough to send me a bunch of wines thank you to ludovica and to rebecca for helping coordinate <laughs> everything i'm i'm tasting the testamata bianco uh-huh, okay. uh, 2021 yep. um and i have it in the glass and it's been in the glass for a while. It's opened up with a beautiful nose. And I just took another sip. The mouthfeel is gorgeous. This is the 100% Ansonica. Yeah. The 2021. So yeah. I've had a lot of Vermentino. I got to admit, I haven't had a lot of Ansonica. Tell me about some of the uh, descriptors or characteristics of this grape. Well, Ansonica, like, Vermentino is more kind of a wine grape no it has the shape it's round right it has uh, a lot of perfumes it's if you really feel that vermentina is a wine grape and sonica is a bit strange it's more like a table grape it's more like a it was more like uh is it a bigger grape it's a bigger grape the shape of the barrels mm. bar- berries right. is like an olive kind of no it wow. can be la- it can be large like a tam sometime a berry no so it's, uh, it can be smaller as well, and like a like a like a small finger tip. So it's a, but it has a form of an olive on the shape. It's not an aromatic wine, kind of. It's not an aromatic. It's not that aromatic, but it's got a nice mouth feel. Yeah, it has an enormous. It's got a teeny bit of bitterness, but like good bitterness. Yeah, it has a lot of minerality. No? Yeah. 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 It's more um, on the structure and on the minerality, kind of. What's what's uh, 
if you're sitting there looking at the ocean, what's a good food to eat with this? Any kind of seafood, shellfish? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah, I can see it, it holds. It whatever holds it up, to, uh, yeah. But it's funny um, because you... uh, sometimes uh, with Ansonica, it's uh, kind of also interesting to eat uh, kind of meat, no? Because yeah, I think the, it has the structure in the body for that. Yeah, because you know the, the culture yeah. of the island was like was not really a sea culture; it was a farmer culture. Oh, Farmers. so they were eating everything, right? Yeah, so they so used to was... have this wine with you know with uh, with meat yeah. and with the uh, no. Yeah, that makes sense culturally and the type of wine it is. Um, tell me a few things. Um, tell me about your farming practices. You know, obviously you've you've grown up around the two hectares. You know, you have a handful of vineyards. You know, you recently acquired one. Um, what do you seek out? I mean, are you looking for organics, biodynamics, sustainability? You know, you sound like a very sensible guy. I don't think you want to walk into vineyards that are heavily treated. So, you know, what's your approach to all of this? Well, listen, my approach is uh, it's very simple. No? I, I have a strong attention for quality. Okay. No? So, this means automatically, no, you know, and the less you treat, the better it is. The, I mean, the, the more pure, the more pure, the more clean your fruits are, the better your wines are. I mean, it's very, it's an equation, no? So, we are doing uh, 100% organic uh, agriculture, no, but not for uh, quality reasons, no, rather more for you know, making our part on uh, keeping this uh, world clean, no, let's say. Well, that's uh, as important. What you put in your stomach is important is what you do to the earth. So, I mean, it plays both ways, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the drive for why we actually do organic agriculture. Okay. Uh, but uh, my drive is to do quality agriculture. That's, and that's in it. order to attain quality, you can get there organically, right? Because some people have to treat to get to the quality they think they need to. That's not how you think, right? I think, uh, you know, quality is, uh, is uh, you, you need to spend a lot of time in the vineyards. You need to do things by hand. You need to do, I mean, when, when before I decided to become organic in 2010, in okay. 2000, I remember 2002, 2003, I started having my first visit in the vineyards by other winemakers. And they asked me if I was organic. And I asked them, why? They asked me, yeah, because there is so much hand care in your vineyards. You're doing all this. I mean, they thought earth. it was obvious to them that you probably are because of the way you were doing it? Yeah, because of the way okay. that so much time I was using in the vineyards to create beautiful fruits no right and i was not at all organic you know i mean i was not even i mean so also when i changed from 
from non-organic to organic, for me, it was not a problem at all. Not because hard, right? it was not hard at all. Because when you are in, when you are doing a quality agriculture, you are in the vineyard. You stay in the vineyard. You spend time in the vineyard. You follow your grapes. You do. I mean, well, the best uh, wines come from the vineyard, BB. We agree on that. Which leads me to the next thing. So now you're in the cellar. You mentioned a word before intervention. You know where you don't intervene a lot. Do your cellar practices mirror, you know, how you approach the vineyards? I mean, do you, you don't screw around too much in the, tell me what you do in the cellar. No, cellar is uh, the lowest intervention is possible. No, it's uh, the work is done in the vineyard. Cellar is, is, uh, is uh, to keep up to the work that you did in the vineyard. So it means to try to, preserve as much as possible of the characters of the of, of the soils of the lands of the terroir you know so you must uh, you know so that's why we don't use new wood or very very little new wood uh, we use very very little sulfites every time we add some sulfites we check the wines we check every single barrel before we make an adding so are you able to get away with indigenous yeast? Yeah, yeah, we only use indigenous yeast. Okay. No, That's we, great. No, but it's just a matter of, of, of quality again there because they, we made that we we tried and the wine were better. No? So, yes. I so, think in the yeah. end that's usually what happens. Um I don't curse a lot on the show, even though I curse a lot on life but you really don't give a shit about regulatory organizations like the DOC <laughs> and the DOCG. Um, uh, why is that? It just hampers the way you want to make your wines? I don't know. It just doesn't appeal me. Why? The, the idea of... You don't of, need to do that? I don't know. Maybe it's a matter of character. No, uh, I'm always been uh, very autonomous guy no yeah so that's not it, autonomy those organizations so it hasn't affected really anything right i mean you don't get any pushback or any problems well you know a it, little <laughs> it would be probably easier no if i would be a brunello or if i would be a barolo or if i would be something like that in the sense with my kind of work and when, my kind of recognitions, probably if I would also have a DOC behind me, it would be... Right. Are um, you getting to the point where you've established yourself, where you worry about that less? You know, people know the name Testamata, Calore. They know I, never, I, actually, I, I actually never worried about it. Okay. I just well, no. yeah. I mean, if you're not going to get involved with it, it'd be uh, the I, I never I, to worry about the, 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 Let's say the, the good thing about it is when I talk with the, all my let's say friends and winemakers that they that are in the DSC, they kind of envy me because they say, okay, you know what? <clears throat> At the end of the day, it's better to be out like you are. I know. And nobody likes the BS or the nonsense, but no, the, there's the good and that, bad. To the, the thing is that you are obliged to really create your name. You're not just hanging on a DOC. No? Right. 
That's a which very is, good point. And that, which is that, not, which, which at the end of the day, whatever you do in life, you need to create your own thing. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. I agree I mean, with that. And that's how I see what you're doing. Um, one last thing, and I have a thing called the wine list where I ask my guests a bunch of questions. I don't want to let you get out of here without doing it. Um, you know, you are an artist. We talked about that. Um, you create the labels for your wines. Um, the labels, you know, how do we describe it? Is it like a form of impressionism or something? You know, they're, 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 they're pretty cool. Um, is that typical of the type of art that you were doing? Um, or you just sat down one day and had a vision that this is what you wanted the labels to look like? No, I just had the feeling that I wanted to uh, have the impression I had when I was putting my nose into a fantastic glass of wine and discovering the wine. <laughs> That's, that was your inspiration. Yeah, that was my inspiration <laughs> for this um, lady. So are you still dabbling in art or you're so busy that when you have to, it's for labels? Yeah, I'm in that stage there now. I'm, I'm doing it when I do the labels. No? And yeah, they're, they're beautiful. And yeah. I think one of the motivations, I think the real motivation is to try the wines because they're wonderful. But um, <laughs> the, the labels are very, you know, catchy and they're very beautiful. Um, they're very elegant and, and simple, um, which is a nice thing. And the fact that it's your artwork, um, I would assume that the originals or some of them are around Aurora framed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would think so. <laughs> All right, BB, we got to wrap up pretty soon. But before we do, we do two things. I want you to answer my wine list. And before we leave, I want to taste the Calori with you. We got a chance to talk about the uh, Testamata Bianco for a minute or two. All right. So I have five questions. I ask all my guests the same questions. Nothing different for you. Um, let's do this quickly. Don't dwell on your answers. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What are you drinking besides your wines? What do you like to drink? You mentioned Burgundy earlier. Have you become a Burgundy drinker? Or are you a beer guy? Does your taste change with the seasons? What's in your fridge now? What's on your table? Well, <laughs> right now I am uh, having a nice beer. <laughs> okay. So you like to have a beer every now and then. It's a good break, right? Yeah. Italian beers, uh, imported, what? I uh, simply selling beers. I'm not a fancy beer beer drinker. Okay. Yeah. Um, like any beer. wines that you're curious uh, about or you like to drink? Yeah, well, I'm, we're always uh, always playing around and trying to taste new wines and things and see what other people are doing. It's, I mean, it's a pleasure. No? So yeah. we're open to any kind of wines. And Does that tend to be more Italian or it's as global as... No, no, it's kind of global. Okay, very cool. So you're always you're always tasting wines and you're having some beers. All right. Do you have this is the silliest question on the list. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Not what you think is a good pairing, but something you actually like. You know, you probably don't eat it every week, every month, you know, maybe a few times yeah, a my, year. But... My favorite is uh uh testamata with uh, strawberries and whipped cream. Well, you said that P 
because of the fruit and because of some of the wood, it tastes like that naturally. So yeah. you take something that tastes like that and then you eat it with the real thing. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. Um, I'm not sure I've ever had somebody answer that. Um, all right. So I'm going to ask you this question. And I think probably because you travel a little, but not that much, you know, lately because of COVID and being busy. Favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Is there any place around there where you could walk in and they have a cool wine list and the people there are knowledgeable and the vibe is good? Maybe there's some good food or snacks. There are a couple of places around you, go-to places? Here in Florence? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's uh, there are a couple of really you know, cool places to... But keep it in the context of great wine, too. Not the best restaurant, but restaurant and wine or wine bar. Yeah, yeah, what absolutely. Well, here in Florence, probably one of the nicest places to go out for having wines is called La Giostra. G-I-O-S-T-R-A? Yeah. Okay, that's a restaurant too, right? Yeah, it's a restaurant. I've eaten there. Terrific. Yeah, it's uh, because it's kind of a, a very nice atmosphere, but they have yeah. only outstanding wines. So the wine list is great. You know what I noticed? You know, I've been there a few times and there's always people that walk in like from the U.S. or I always bump into somebody, you know, there. It's a very popular spot. All right. Anything like anything else like that come to mind? <sighs> What's going on at Aurora? Are you making keeping a restaurant or the bar blue? What are you doing there? There we are just now starting to an activity. We didn't really open up still. Okay. We, but we finished all the works and we're going to make our wine bar there. All right, so that, that's soon to come. All yeah. right, so we'll put Ligiostra down. Um, all right, here's the fourth question. BB's favorite all-time wine. Now, when I initially asked my guests that, I wanted you to tell me the rarest, most expensive wine that you ever drank. What I care about is a wine that became important to you, that was an enlightening wine, that was a gateway wine, you know, that was something that shifted the way you thought. Now, you may have answered it with that Romani Conti, um, but that's sort of the, even though that's a very fancy, famous, expensive wine, it had a huge impact on your thinking. But is there anything else like that? Well, I mean, that was definitely... It was not a Romani Conte, it was a Richburg. No? Oh, it was a Richburg. Okay, my bad. Go ahead. It was a Richburg from Romani Conti. Okay. So, <laughs> Equally as good. The, so that was definitely the wine that really turned my, uh, my vision, no? Uh, in, sure. In I mean, you said uh, that, right? So Is there anything else similar to that along the way, or that was the one? Not that, not that strong in the okay. sense of well that that's a good changing. one no so not. it's the the Richborg and yeah. that changed your thinking yeah. on yeah. how to uh I, what I, kind I, of wines you want to drink and make yeah well then All I right, mean, here's the la here's the last question and i think you could handle this i want you to recommend to me a red and a white wine it could be a region, it could be a maker um, that costs about 
15, 20, 22 American dollars. So what I'm asking for is what's the best wine value you could think of in a white wine? What's the best wine value you could think in a red wine? I'll tip you off a little. I mean, are there Vermentinos uh, from the well, coast? I would, say, that... I would say that it was uh, one of the, I was very impressed by, I don't know which review was it that gave it as the best wine of the world. And it was the Prosecco of uh, Franco Neri. Huh? Okay. Franco Negri. So Franco Neri Prosecco. Negri, yeah. That's Negri. a wine that costs less than $20. And okay, and, and great value, great quality. Fantastic, fantastic wine. Okay, that's why I ask you these questions, because we like to turn our listeners on to stuff yeah. they may not have heard of. It's always harder to do a red. Can you think of a red in that vein? I think uh, maybe if you, I don't know if it's, it went higher up with the value. Well, get me close. No, kind of like the Chianti Classico of Castello di Volpaia, for example. I don't know why the price is there. I think you may be in the range. It may be 25. I think Chianti Classico is a home run and great value. So there may be a few guys in that. So you're saying Chianti Classico and you're saying Volpaia. Yeah, Volpaia, because Volpaia is uh, it's very high up in the mountains and they have this very, very fresh and transparent and elegant wines. Right. And so it's so cool specifically wine. the Volpaia. All right, I didn't mention this, but I post all these answers on our social media so our listeners have uh, access to them. In the coming week, we'll be promoting the show and we'll be uh, um, you know, putting those answers out there. All right, great job on that. Before we wrap up, BB, we do a thing called the Weekly Wine Sip, where every week we taste the wine on air. Um, it's always the best when our guest is the winemaker and we get to talk about and taste his wines. Um, so this is a treat for me, and it's nice to have you talk about it. So what I have in front of me is I have your, what they call your Mac Daddy wine. I have the 2020 Colore. Um, which I want you to tell me a little about. We discussed it a little earlier, but I have it in the glass and I want to do some analytics like nose and palate and all that. But tell me a little, you know, a little more about the wine that you didn't tell me. Well, you may, you may put your nose in the glass. No? And, uh, all right. I'm, so first of all, the feelings we'll go right um, there. I'm looking at the color and when I poured it, I was surprised that it wasn't this deep, dark, brooding wine like I would expect from some Brunellos and even the Super Tuscans, no, um, which plays to your Burgundy influence. Am I clear? <laughs> I mean, am I right Absolutely. that it's sort of a? Uh, it's it's all about you know it's all about uh, transparency, acidity, uh, fruits. Oh, you have this red fruits. All right, so go to the nose. I got my nose yeah. in the glass. I suck at descriptors. What yeah. am I getting out of this 2020? It's kind of a, what I, what really strikes me in the 2020 color, the nose, it's this uh, really su- settled, but very delicate perfumes that are there. And yes, they, it's, it's amazing. They're so delicate. They're so fine. No? 
It's and very that. aromatic. It's not overpowering in any one descriptor. It's very wide. It's beautiful. And it is, in a good way, a perfume aromatic, you know, a, a kind yeah. of accumulation of all the good things. All right. The mouthfeel to me is it's a medium, beautiful mouthfeel. It's not thin at all, but it's not this thick, glycerin-y, you know, unctuous wine. It's got a beautiful mouth-filling mouthfeel. Agree? Do you agree the mouthfeel is sort of a medium mouthfeel? Absolutely. No, that's part of my philosophy of making wines. I want my wines to be drank. No, it's right. It's this is a very deep. drinkable as far they as they need to be gastronomic somehow. No? They need to be on a table and stand stand on the table and uh, and be able to be you know, enjoyed without thinking too much. Also, no, just you know, drink a bottle of wine easy. No, whatever it is. Yep. I, I agree with that. Now, sure. the last thing is the palate. Do the descriptors of the nose match the palate? What do you get on the palate? Is that where you get your strawberries and a little? Tell me what you get on the palate. Well, you get all this, you know, uh, you get this freshness and this red fruits um, and the acidity, huh? Yeah, I think the acidity is good, which makes it great for food. I think you're right about the red fruits. You know, it's more of a red fruit-driven wine than, you know, the darker fruits. What I'm curious about is um, 10 years from now, where do you think, how do you think this wine evolves? (laughs) You never know, but what do you think? (laughs) I don't know. Well, the only thing I know that the the wines that I've been doing up to now, like – 2000, 2001. Right. What's happening with them? They're still, they're still, young. they're still young. No. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they're they're highly ageable. That's great. Yeah. Um, they probably they don't need to settle down, but you know maybe they just change a little. But it's a good question, Mark, because I mean they were done in a very ex- super over extracted way and very. Yeah, powerful. you're talking two different ones. So, so it's going to be interesting to see in 10 years what these wines are. Right. Ten, wine from 10 years ago today and this wine 10 years ago from now, you can't necessarily yeah. do a side-by-side. What's, what's in your mind, classic pairings for this wine? Well, you know, it's, uh, as I told you, it's a, it's a gastronomy wine. No? So get it in front of food. Get it in front of fruit, you know, that kind of easy. It's not, uh, you don't need to have a uh, wild duck uh, flying around, kind of, you know? it's, uh, Right, right. <laughs> you can um, have it with whatever, just have it with co- good company, that's the main thing. Yeah, really. I mean, as simple as a nice juicy yeah. burger or a steak or even chicken well, or, I mean, fish, it goes with anything. It's a beautiful wine. I think it's a versatile wine as yeah. far as the gastronomy thing because yeah. it's not light and it's not heavy. It's somewhere in the middle and that goes with a lot. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful wine. So that's the 2020 Calori, the B.B. Gretz Calori. Um, the Tuscan wine with his, you know, own design label on it. Um, all right, BB, we got to wrap up. I just want to do a quick uh, wrap up and then I want to get some info from you and then I'm going to let you go. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the That's Sam at the Subscribe to the Grape Nation on 
the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. The reason we ask you to subscribe is once you're a subscriber, the episode shows up and it's ready for you to listen. You're lying in bed and there's B.B. Gretz, who happens to be a very handsome man right next to you, ready to talk to you. Um, leave a review if you like the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and on Twitter at BenRuby. I know that's a little confusing, but you can always use the hashtag The Grape Nation to find us on both. We are on Facebook at The Grape Nation. As I mentioned, we'll post BB's wine list answers, and I'll give you more information on our weekly wine sip and the white wine we tasted so that you could look it up. Um, we'll be posting those on our social media sites. Um, BB, if people want to get more information on your wines, what's the best way for them to go? Website? I mean, where if people are like, this, these wines sound cool, this guy sounds great, I need to know more, what's the best thing? The, probably the best way is to go on our Instagram page. BB okay, so you are active on social media. What's the Instagram yeah. page? It's BB Grass Winery. B-I-B-I-G-R-A-E-T-Z. B.B. Gretz. At B.B. Gretz, right? Yeah. All right. So that, if you go there, you'll see a lot of stuff you post fairly regularly? Yeah. All right. So that, that would be the best place. And from there, um, you know, you'll find yeah. a lot of information. There's a lot of discovery on uh, Instagram. Um, <laughs> so that, that sounds good. Um, you also have a website. You can go to BB Gretz and there's a website. And yeah, sure. you could see the labels that we're talking about. You can get the descriptions of the wines. You can get technical info and all that stuff. So you can do that too. Um, all right, BB, I want to thank our guest, BB Gretz. I want to thank our engineer, Armin, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.